going, everyone? Joe Gagne here, welcoming you to edition 67 of Joe vs. the World. And yes, we are behind schedule, but we are here now to celebrate the holidays, and hopefully the Occupy Joe vs. the World movement can end. <laughs> and please get your tents off my front lawn. I tell people that we put you on the Shawn Michaels dad schedule, where you don't have to work <laughs> as much. That's that's very helpful. Joining and me as always. Oh, go ahead. People that a lot of people. You fucking piss people off this time, Joe. Oh, but we're I, here. I, I apologize. There's no, <laughs> no excuse. And uh, as you can tell, joining me as always, a man who recently sat in the host chair for his own podcast experiment, but <laughs> he will hopefully know his role and open his mouth, Mister Justin Shapiro. Justin, a happy holiday season to you. Thank you very, very much, Joe. I could never do what you do. It's it's something. You have to talk all the time. Okay. Control <laughs> things. So. It's very hard. Don't know how you do it. Mm. You know the, uh, the the I'm thinking about this. The similarities between you and Colt Cabana are fairly striking. You both, sorry, colleague uh, CM Punk and Rob Naylor get scooped up by the WWE, so you create a podcast to rebrand yourself. Whoa. That's we're both Jewish. We're both super strong. <laughs> I didn't want to go. Uh, Jewish seemed a little obvious. Maybe a little offensive. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> happy Hanukkah to you, by the way. Thank you. It's either the second, first, or third night. <laughs> <laughs> Strict observation. Uh, um, yeah, I'm at home visiting my family, parents, etc. Those are the same thing for the holidays. And uh, we forgot to light candles last night because we collectively forgot. Okay. <laughs> and uh, tonight we're not doing it because a rerun of Revenge is on. <laughs> so it's the one where she gets revenge. So I have not. Uh, I've never partaken in Revenge. That's the one after. Uh, it's on after Happy Endings, right? Yes. Are you yes. In, are you into the the Happy Endings there? Love it. It's. I would rate it like my third favorite show. Really? I'm, I'm I'm not quite there yet. They need to slow down a little for me. Maybe I'm just old. <laughs> well, you know, us young people in our late 20s, uh, extremely late 20s, can appreciate what they're going through over there. Just living, dating, trying to have it all, making a whole bunch of pop culture references. Mm. So I do appreciate the girl who was too fat for Saturday Night Live, and that's why she got fired. Yeah. And yeah. that may be true. I may have just made that up. I'm not sure. Um, it was a hot rumor. Oh. It was a fat rumor, but she's getting it done. <laughs> you know, good for her, you know? Absolutely. Doesn't have to be, uh, doesn't have to be in Cougar talk show sketches. She can be on after, after Cougar. Talented sextet now. on that show. Yeah, it is. I would it like is. to sextet. Absolutely. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so we could just talk about TV fun this whole time. I'm sure want. we could, but, uh. But no, because we love sequential order, we will be covering 1993 in the WWF, or 1993, as I can finally make it appropriate. Thankfully. Here we are. We did it, Joe. We did it. We're here. Anyway. Do you have uh, Christmas themes planned, or is this out of time? I may have a little Christmas music to end the yeah. show. Okay, because I wrote you a carol. Do you want oh, to hear it? Oh, I would love to hear it. It's thematically appropriate. It goes like this. It's secular, though. No, it's not secular at all, actually. It goes, Joe versus the world, the show has come. New York receives the king. Let every Bret Hart prepare his moves. It's WWF 93. It's WWF 93. That's as far as I got because I wanted to write a verse about <laughs> the, the smoking guns, but it didn't come together. Aww. 
That's too bad. That that was that was legitimately wonderful. Thank you, Joe. I am. I'm a little. I almost choked on my uh, diet cherry Coke Zero, but mm. yep. you got advertisers now. Was that I wish I did. Oh. Just put in your tweaked audio earbuds. And <laughs> down to business here. Anyway, just, there's only uh, one real place to start. The longest running episodic action adventure. Whatever. We can actually pinpoint its origin. You would think it's something like the sun where we have a rough idea. <laughs> but we have a date, January 11th, 1993, the transition from uh, primetime wrestling to Monday Night Raw. Many changes were afoot, including the obvious name change, which we somewhat take for granted these days. I know when I heard Raw, I thought, how salacious, what will occur? <laughs> and then it was just squash matches. But, um, oh, well. you know, you... You, and, the, and the occasional scantily clad ring girl who had strange signs like "Don't eat casserole raw" or something like that. I don't know what I was supposed to take from that, but yeah, it's, it's like Dolph Ziggler. When you first heard that name, you thought, "What a stupid name!" But <laughs> years later, you're like, "Hey, it's Dolph Ziggler," and mm-hmm. and you just don't think about it. Yeah, it's capitalized, but it's not an acronym, and uh, mm. I don't know what its deal is. We just it just exists now in and of itself. It was uncut, uncensored, and uncooked, mm. and two of those are double meanings. And then the third one is just uncooked. There's no way a TV <laughs> show really? can be uncooked. Just uh, I don't I don't know. Uh, the time of the show was cut down from two hours to one, which I was not in favor of because boo, less wrestling. But somewhat strange to think about that Raw was not uh, was once only one hour. Oh yeah, and was that way for a long? So wait, primetime was two. Oh, I guess primetime was two. Mm. Like oh, because I couldn't stay up for the second hour, <laughs> and I was always like, what? But what? Hmm. What's gonna happen? Mm. Something huge. No, but no. still. Um, no, it had. I remember. It. So, I do know the anecdote about uh, the anecdote about Gunsmoke when Raw started. It's kind of a famous story. Oh, would you like me to tell it? Please do. Okay. Well, the cast of Gunsmoke in January '93 they had gathered to record a commentary. It wasn't a DVD commentary because there weren't um, DVDs yet. It was a. Mm. They recorded on a cassette, and then you played it at the same time as the VHS, and you had the cast commentary. And then when Raw started, this ghostly shiver went through the whole room because everyone knew. <laughs> Their days were numbered, yes, quite literally. Yes, fate had been sealed. Oh, they no. Would. So it's uh, it's sad, but you know what? That's just TV magic had to take them down. Mm. Uh, the show mostly took place in the same building with the commentators present as opposed to throwing it to matches as on primetime wrestling. That building was the Manhattan Center, which Ring of Honor, I don't know if they run anymore, but they certainly used to and sold out, which should tell you about the business for the WWF at the time. I thought they were just taking a cue from MTV Unplugged and uh, having it in a more intimate setting. Well, uh, like, um, it was uncut, uncensored, uncooked, unplugged, acoustic match. Yeah, unplugged, maybe. yeah. <laughs> they had acoustic renditions of everyone's theme song. Yes, uh, just a gentle banjo strum for Crush's famous tune. <laughs> uh, the show was live, except when it wasn't, and, uh, <laughs> I have to admit, I used to think all wrestling shows were live, like even the the ones on Saturday morning I watch. Because if you watch a baseball game on TV, well, that's happening live, so obviously wrestling must be somewhere. But even when they had like different buildings on primetime wrestling, like you see the Boston Garden and then some other building, I thought, well, they're just going to multiple shows. 
Yeah, you, I don't blame you for that joke. They never said otherwise. No. <laughs> what else were you to think? It was tacitly implicit that mm-hmm. this was just happening now. Uh, there seemed to be more of a movement to have more meaningful matches and uh, at least more event-based uh, occurrences. Not to the event that Nitro pushed it to with giving away major matches on television, but it seemed to make things a bit more interesting than the usual parade of squashes and maybe, you know, a semi-competitive match at the end. Yeah, I mean, just the fact they didn't cut to a studio to talk about nothing for a little bit. And <laughs> things were constantly happening in an, in an arena, in an arena of wrestling occurrences. Um, but what, within the first uh, two weeks, they killed Ric Flair, right? That was kind of big. That was, yes, somewhat big. And the last change was uh, Rob Bartlett was added to the commentary team, I guess, to shake things up. Uh, Vince brought in a comedian from the Imus show to do commentary with him and the Macho Man. He was not very good. He was often uh, detrimental to the overall product. <laughs> and it's not like he was a, he wasn't like a super famous person. Like I don't know. I, I didn't know who he was. I was not granted not the audience for the Imus show at the time, but <laughs> it was it just seemed a curious choice. They got Bartlett. Holy crap! <laughs> I mean, it, at least Steve McMichael was a famous football player from a famous football team up to a point. I mean, in 1995, I assumed he'd been retired for a while, but I don't know. Maybe it was like, edgy New York, yeah, uncooked. I mean, like, he would, he did a whole match, like, imitating Mike Tyson, and it was just, it was really terrible. He would insult wrestlers and the fans, and it's not like, I mean, if they had someone from, like, Saturday Night Live at the time, I could kind of understand, because that actually probably would have worked, because they were in New York, but... I, I don't know. It, he lasted like three months, and then he was shelved. Um, like Canteen Boy or <laughs> <laughs> Chris Rock? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, the um, uh, Chris Farley show where he hmm. could be like, "Remember when you won the Royal Rumble? <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome." But then he'd be another young wrestling death, and that would just. Be... That's right. That, he did. He he portrayed the wrestling luchador El Nino on a Saturday Night Live oh, skit. Oh wow. So he oh would have fit perfectly. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Timely. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, so Bartlett, what you're telling me is WWF on their flagship show, they deliberately created a situation where the announcing was detrimental and just took <laughs> away from what was going on. Yes, somehow this slipped through the cracks. Vince was not backstage to yell at him, so... And just one, they had three announcers, and a third of the announcers just ruined everything. Yep. And this was their idea. <laughs> yes. And they wanted it to be that way and liked it. Yes. Don't These were heady days. Speaking of such, uh, I know Todd Pettengill came out around this time. He replaced Sean Mooney, and uh, Pettengill was eventually replaced by Michael Cole, who had a very long run. So question to you, who has the worst legacy at this point? And granted, <laughs> Michael Cole had that period where people liked him and Taz, and they thought they were better than Jr. and the King. But I mean, um, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, I don't know. Like Mooney, I seemed to have dignity and an air of class about him, even when Sergeant Slaughter kidnapped him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Todd, I guess, because he Cole Cole went to Bosnia. He has credentials and like. It, it seems an unfair time to evaluate the legacy of Cole based on what he's been doing. So I'd have yeah. to say Todd was the biggest clown. This is admittedly a nadir, hopefully, in the career of Michael Cole. But. That's right. 
Yeah, I don't know. Get comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> you would think Cole would have been blown off a long time ago. And not yeah, so you'd much. think. So when he pins Daniel Bryan uh, next year. <laughs> WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but Todd Todd wore like hip clothing of the youth of the day, and uh, he would talk down to us and be like, "Hey, fans, head, <laughs> head shrinkers are shrinking heads nationwide." <laughs> Reels. Uh, so, plus, uh, did you you recorded your video game um, review for the um, arcade game? Did you do research on the whole? Uh, contribution of Todd to those, and because he got deep, he, he certainly involved. did. I just saw. I mainly found the, the clip we used, which is just him being annoying. <laughs> but um, yeah, those were those were amazing. That whole thing was amazing. We have we'll, we'll bring up endings as we progress because most of the roster was good. Present at the time. You're so, lying about the the Vonnegut novel ending of being like Yokozuna's. Uh, Vonnegut wrote that. I thought was that that made me smile. They're deeply disturbing. They you, were quite you upsetting. You consider them canonical, then? I think so. Okay, good. Moving along, uh, Crush had some harsh words for the clown, or Doink, as we found out his name was. It turns out Crush's grandfather was a clown who made kids laugh, while Doink provoid, provo- uh, preferred making them cry. Crush confronted Doink in a match and twisted his arm. The next week, Doink came out with an arm in a sling, gave Crush a flower as a peace offering, but then Doink removed his fake arm and beat Crush to death with it. Actually, no, he just knocked him out of the rumble. But uh, that kicked off their feud, which <laughs> did, did did little for anyone. It's um, yeah, WWF magazine and, and Lou Jean Fredo or whoever sent their best man to Hawaii to get like the whole backstory there and this human interest story about Crush's proud Hawaiian <laughs> clown grandfather. <laughs> It sounds silly when you say it out loud like that. Well, but, you know, family is family, and uh, Adam's patriarch was meant so much to all the children. That, do you know, um, have you seen the movie The Descendants? I've not yet, no. Yeah, that's based on Crush's grandfather. <laughs> really? I did not mm-hmm. know that. I'm it's, very excited to... Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, let's jump on to the Royal Rumble of the year. We'll uh, start with the undercard, which is actually quite solid. The Steiners and Beverly Brothers was a fun match, and um, it's really amazing. The Steiners made no great changes when they came to the WWF, uh, except they couldn't come out too Steinerized anymore. But they uh, they looked the same, and certainly did not change their move set as they uh, dropped Beverly right on his head with a German suplex. Uh, Marty Shawn Michaels was real good. I don't know why Brian Alvarez buried it a few weeks back. It was very curious, and with the story of uh, whose corner Sherry would be in, and it was not a stupid swerve. She made her choice, and it happened to backfire, but it wasn't uh, something lame they would do these days. Uh, Bossman Bam Bam was good, as was Razor Brett, which uh, Razor kicked off the insulting-slash-attacking-the-heart-family motif <laughs> that continued throughout the <clears throat> Didn't he hit Owen with a garbage can? I believe like he attacked that? him on the Action Zone, or perhaps yeah. Mania, one of those other shows, but uh, yes. I don't know if we were in the Action Zone yet. It must have been. I think that came later, that's right. Yeah. Taz, we'll, we'll discuss that next next yes. time, because that was such a zone. But I don't want to give anything away. Constant action. Um, 
Yeah, um, I think I talked at the end of 1992 about how much Marty Jannetty meant to me and how I wondered why he had such unfulfilled revenge, as it were, ABC's 10 o'clock. Um, and so his revenge, like the girl on Revenges, I think her name is Revenge. Um, oh, that's Bones, I'm thinking of. She's Bones, right? But, um, so revenge, every week she tries to get revenge on somebody, but it, it happens in increments. And so... First, Marty went through the window, and um, then he never got any revenge. And then he came back and with, uh, hit him with the mirror, and he was like, all right, that's some revenge, but what about the title? And um, he didn't get that revenge here. And uh, maybe later on in our conversation, another chapter of revenge might occur mm. by another failure. Yes, but some success later on. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Steiner's, it, so WCW got Jake the Snake um, a few months prior, and then WWF picked up the Steiners and Giant Gonzalez. Oh, yeah. Who do you think was a better get? Um, gosh, no one lasted all that long. The Steiners <laughs> were like a year and a half, but Jake was a few months. So I suppose the WWF got the better end of that. Perhaps. Talent swap. Yeah, a little yeah. lopsided, perhaps, but Jake had tr- he was a troubled man. Oh well, I guess you would say when WWF got Jim Ross, and of course it ruined their lives because they're like this fat idiot. <laughs> but um, for, and for the for all the great fans, he was probably the most important jump of everybody. True. Uh, the only possible downer well not downer but the debut of Lex Luger as the narcissist or narcissus narcissus Bobby Heenan slobbering all over him and what played off as a WBF outtake yeah um cause he he, he said to Jim Hurd let me go man I gotta be a professional bodybuilder in the professional <laughs> bodybuilding league it's my dream it's the same dream Lesnar had when he asked out to go play football it's ever since I was little, I wanted to compete in the World Bodybuilding Federation. No, I will not wrestle. <laughs> it's a completely different con. Yes, they're both subsidiaries of Titan Sports. Will I be really strong? Yes. Will I use the name Lex Luger? Sure, that's my name. Will I wrestle? No. Don't don't even don't even worry about it. So I'm just gonna go. And uh, all right, it was a pleasure not uh, doing business with you. Anyway. <laughs> Now, speaking of, of names you don't really think about, like, Lex Luger named himself, it's based on Lex Luthor, the Superman villain, if, if I'm correct. I know Luger is a type of gun, but I believe reading that he named himself after Lex Luthor, which is strange because Lex Luthor is a bald <laughs> criminal mastermind, while Lex Luger is a huge muscle head, and it's just, I don't think anyone really ever brought that up, and it's just very strange to me. I guess when you talk it out, like the word raw, it doesn't really know. Because I, I think I knew Lex Luger first. So when, oh. Because I, I think I, I read I read X-Men in the early 90s and no DC, their direct competition. Um, so all that Superman um, history and cultural impact. So when I learned about Lex Luthor later, I was like, oh, he must have a loose association with the guy who holds people on his shoulders until they give up. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah, they're both... um, But, you know, Luger turned so many times between 88 and uh, 93 that it was really hard to 
I, maybe he was antithetical to a supervillain at the time. Like uh, perhaps later later on in this conversation, he's going to be one of the proudest people in our country's history. So. Yes, can't compare that to Lex Luthor. Oh, uh, as for the Rumble itself, it was our first uh, Hoganless Rumble, at least on pay per view. Um, we had a few uh, Hoganless pay per views before. At SummerSlam 92, you didn't really notice. You had the enormous crowd. Uh, Survivor Series 92, you had the novelty of the Reddit's Champ, the uh, Mr. Perfect heel turn. But for this show, they kept trotting out all these goofballs like Terry Taylor and Max Moon and Damian Demento. And this was the first year, like, the WrestleMania, you got the WrestleMania title shot for winning, so the stakes were higher, which makes keeping Crush out of the match even stranger. <laughs> um, anyway, Yokozuna won when Randy Savage inexplicably went for a pinfall, and Yokozuna kicked out and pressed him over the top to the floor. Well, I'm chewing right now, and I make no bones about that, but <laughs> what about Carlos Colon and Tenru, right? Yeah, there was there was some interesting, like, oh, hey, that's, you know, like, here are some legends like Ric Flair and Carlos Colon <laughs> punching each other and leaning against the ropes, but... <laughs> I've swallowed it, so we're good. Um, Carlos Colon and, and Tenru and Ric Flair and Jerry Lawler are all in the same match should be like, it's the greatest wrestling match that ever happened. These legends. How many... How many uh, people did it draw to the house show? All some <laughs> some huge number, cross culturally, <laughs> and um, no, it did not. Tenru, I guess, was back because he, he proved his point. He he beat Demolition, right? It was Tenru and Katas. Yes, very correct. So he was like, "I will get back to you," and then <laughs> he came back a couple of years later to finish what he started. Mm. He, and uh thought he would see Crush in this match and didn't, so had to be confusing. Yeah, I, this is a, the larger point that I have now decided to be making is that I think you can really see, I don't know if you'd call it a talent drain, because, you know, when you lose some of the regulars from the 80s and early 90s Hulkamania run, it's not like all those guys were awesome, Warlord, but <laughs> <laughs> you can see the turnover that's really starting, it, it should show up no better than in a match where they put out 30 WWF superstars and um, they have to fill it with a Damian Demento or a Carlos Colon. It's just like, really? I do not recognize this man from the trading cards because he he will not be around long enough to have one. What is his trademark maneuver? (laughs) How how will I know? So, um, yeah, weird, weird stuff. I get... Because... Survivor Series 92 would have been the first world title match on pay-per-view with neither Hogan, Savage, nor Warrior, the three great men. Mm. And uh, it gets even weirder when you throw in, like, a Razor Ramon, who had only been in the company for, like, six months up to that point. Mm. Or at least six months wrestling. I know those uh, vignettes went on all summer. Yes. So these are these are strange winds blowing, Joe. Yeah. Ooh. We got we to gotta do it justice. Perhaps. Right? I feel like the old generation was... Gone. And something something new was going to replace it. I don't know what yet, though. Saying something was occurring generationally. It seemed that way. Hmm. I, uh, Bob Backlund got the record-breaking spot going over an hour, maybe as an FU, but uh, people were legit pissed when he got tossed. So, But it's not like they did anything with him for like another two years. So, That's the thing. Like He, he didn't even have programs, I don't think, after he wrestled at WrestleMania. He just kind of 
dicked around for a while and seemed yeah. like a, a charity case. And then something snapped in Mr. Backlund. But um, that's his story for another download, I guess. He was in there forever. It was like, go away, Bob. <laughs> was it, Bob Backlund was in there before the genocide of the giant Gonzalez. And there's like, well, got to protect Backlund. So he like just took a he, nap. Yeah, he fell on the floor or something. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, uh, yes, Giant Gonzalez made his debut during the match in what Wikipedia calls an unnecessary distraction. <laughs> Pretty subjective, Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Support the facts. <laughs> so, anyway, the night after the Rumble, uh, Mr. Perfect beat Ric Flair to send him back to WCW in a match that was actually taped a week earlier. It's uh, That's a really classic match. A lot of people very fondly remember that. People ask why this aired on Raw and, and not the Rumble. I imagine to boost ratings for the new show. And also, if those two wrestled on the undercard, they would have been even less talent in the Rumble itself. So, uh, Yeah, 94 must have been the first show where people went back in. I believe, yes, because uh, we know Brett... Uh, Brett did, and so they get increasingly thinner there. Yes. Uh, had this aired at WrestleMania 9, they would have had an interesting effect on that show's legacy, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, really. I, I got I got some ideas for this WrestleMania. Oh, match. I would I would talk to them. We'll get them. Okay. <laughs> uh, Andre the Giant passed away, kicking off a slew of young wrestling deaths, including Chris Farley. But <laughs> tough times. It um yep. Andre the Giant, and then they put him in the Hall of Fame like that day. Yeah, he got the sympathy vote, you know, like <laughs> Curtis Ikea this year. <laughs> they read Dave's bio. Sting is <laughs> just saying. Forget to hook yourself into the uh, rafters. <laughs> oh, I'm off. Good lord, I apologize for that. Anyway, on to uh, fi- uh, you know what? I'm channeling Bartlett, man. <laughs> Pulling no punches. Okay. Actually, I'm channeling Craig Kilborn, right? He's the one who made that horrible Owen Hart joke. So. Great job, idiot. Oh, okay. I was thinking of Craig DeGeorge and got very confused. <laughs> Where does he fit in the Mooney legacy? I have no idea. Yeah. Josh Matthews is the end point of that legacy. In fact, the guy who's not Scott Stanford would be the natural end point, but he had no staying power. Jack Corpella. He put in like three weeks of NXT and he was like, fuck this, William <laughs> Regal, goodbye. <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> I, I like to think Rob Naylor is the natural evolution of all this. He is the end. <gasps> oh my god! Think of the camera angles they were used to make. <laughs> they Rob don't Naylor. have to. Exactly. Yeah. Rob was complaining on Facebook that he couldn't buy track pants. Like he had to legit buy kids' track pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that's perfect. You're right. Yeah. We we did not plan that out. We hit on this through just the sheer conversation. And the insight of two two of the internet's foremost wrestling experts mm-hmm. in terms of years and movies filmed by wrestlers. <laughs> that is our oh. HD speciality. <sighs> anyway, uh, Jim Duggan was not impressed with Yokozuna or uh, Yokozuma or y- Yokotami, as he called him once, which isn't clever at all. He- so he challenged him to a uh, <laughs> take the guy off his feet challenge. I forget what they called it, but. He was uh, unsuccessful at first, but after a lot of weebling and wobbling, he knocked the big man down. Yoko, of course, retaliated by sitting on Duggan repeatedly. <laughs> there was uh, news in the Observer this might have been it for Duggan, and uh, if it had been, it was somewhat strange they let him be the first guy to knock Yokozuna off his feet, even though Savage did it at the Rumble, but that 
technically uh, the Duggan stuff was taped first, so I guess it was still true. But they had an interview with his wife, and his wife was all distraught. She was pregnant. She's like, I can't, you know, I wanted him to be able to be a father to his children. I don't want to see him back. And then they talked to his dad, and if they asked him if he wants to see him wrestle again, his dad's like, yep, as soon as possible. So, uh, stage dad uh, antics, I think, <laughs> there. Um, I don't know. Chip off the old block of wood or something like that. <laughs> off the 2 by 4 that's weird. I, yeah, I meant to ask you, was Randy Savage briefed on Royal Rumble rules at all? Like either <laughs> so for, hot. for real? Because the year before, he jumped out of the ring to, to, <laughs> to right. punch Jake the Snake more. And he was like, what is this, some kind of quote-unquote over-the-top rope elimination match or something? They had to say that because he did it himself that it didn't count. Yeah, yeah, probably because he, really he just wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> he just fucked up. Oh, do you think what happened is they had the big symposium in 91 where they explained everything and he missed it because Warrior chased him out of the building <laughs> after that plot match. Right. They're like, here are some a lot of people asking questions. We're just going to field them right here. First of all, if you're wondering, I know this has come up a lot, you may not pin people. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, well, what if we're the last two? No. No. It does not turn into a singles match at that point. Do not put yourself in a position to be vertical pressed (laughs) over the top rope. And, uh, okay, well, what if a man I really hate who had a snake try and eat me, can I follow him? (laughs) Yes, you may. Over the top. No! Through the ropes! (laughs) Come on! Figure it out. (laughs) So... Makes a lot that of so strange, yeah. Yes, and Savage, he was in the 94 one, right? I think so. Going after Crush or something. Probably. So. They had issues. But he, you know, for all we know, he may have still been just as confused about the rules at that point, so. And then it all came together World War Three one or <laughs> 31. He was like, aha, I get it, so I'm going to go over the, how many rings can I get? All of them. You can be in any ring. Great. <laughs> I'll win. <laughs> and he did. Yep. World War... I've never seen a World War Three Battle Royal match. I think well, it's not very good. Have you ever seen just um, a beehive? A whole bunch of bees flying in a hive? Like <laughs> yes. Put your face right up against it and then have Lee Marshall explain it to you? Because that's what it looks like. <laughs> well, like, they got all three cameras. Are we going to do a history of World War Three show? <laughs> we have to. <laughs> when we get to 2019 and no one wants to hear from us anymore. <laughs> Guys, Lethal Lotteries have played a huge part in the history of wrestling. <laughs> you had to team up with your worst enemy or just some guy. <laughs> Might have to team up with Bill Kazmaier. It was a lethal lottery. No one knew. So... Your thoughts, Joe? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. But for now... You can host that one. Oh, perfect. All right. Yep. Hey, you know who came back? Brutus the Barber Beefcake. He did an uh, interview on Raw talking about how not only did he nearly die in that parasailing accident, his wife left him, took all his money, and uh, both his folks died. But thanks to Hulk Hogan and to a lesser extent God, he was back and issued an open challenge. This uh, aggravated Money Incorporated who thought the whole thing was bullshit wanted in on this challenge, but Kurt was all like, guys, we got to focus on the tag titles, but DiBiase said tag team wrestling is dead, and uh, <laughs> he wanted to settle that WrestleMania 5 issue, so they uh, had a match on the uh, February 15th Raw. Beefcake was making DiBiase look foolish, so IRS ran in for the DQ. They were going to wallop Brutus with, beef, with the briefcase, which was uh, too much for Jimmy Hart, so IRS shoved him down, and they smacked Brutus in the head. Uh, long story short, this was enough to bring back Hulk Hogan 
to form the Mega Maniacs with Jimmy Hart as their manager, something he said he always dreamed about, which is odd, <laughs> because he tried to murder Hulk Hogan <laughs> on several occasions. But we had a title match for WrestleMania, and uh, boy, was it strange seeing the Hulkster in the Manhattan Center. In the Manhattan Center, in a match for a title that was not the WWF title, in mm. all kinds of things. It was, plus, it was like, where have you been, Hulk Hogan? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Just, you know. Yeah. He had his boat show that... uh not a literal boat show where you look at boats, but Thunder in Paradise was. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. Um, yeah, that was all weird because I, I never understood, and clearly, like Ed Leslie kept wrestling for a long time, so it's not like his face actually would have exploded on contact. But I knew I, it came out, and just it was just kind of a known thing what happened to his face. So when he was actually wrestling in matches, I was like. Why don't you just not? I don't want to see your <laughs> face explode. I heard this story about how, like, Hogan had to give you a blood transfusion to your face to save your life when that happened. So, it was very dangerous. And that t- case that Erwin R. Scheisser had was full of so many important folders and <laughs> tax receipts. So, it hurt super bad. It was, uh, We'll, we'll discuss this program as it goes on. But mm. yeah, it was like, hey, Hulk Hogan is on TV. Remember when that was a thing? Mm. Where'd Ultimate Warrior go? <laughs> is he coming back? Mm-hmm. Anyway, WrestleMania was largely taking shape. Uh, Tatanka pinned Shawn Michaels a few times to set up an icy title match. Uh, Luger Badmouth missed a perfect right from the start, so they had an Insta program. And um, Brett and Yoko had a contract signing. That ended with Yoko sitting on him, but Brett managed to make it to his feet. And, <laughs> uh, which was inspirational, I suppose. Yeah, because um, I was I was expecting Perfect to wrestle Lawler because he pulled him out of the Royal Rumble, but um, I guess it just didn't. Cause it, in '91, there was they had things locked up, so like if Dusty Rhodes and Bad News Brown went, or if uh, Bad News Brown and Roddy Piper had a brawl at the Rumble, it was because they were going to do a match, and then in this new uncut, uncooked weekly episodic adventures, it's maybe <laughs> a little harder to keep track of those things, or at least remember every angle that happened in every program uh, low these 18 years ago. Um, and Tatanka pretty much, I think, took Gennetti's spot, because Marty Gennetti did, <laughs> fulfilled his life's obligation and <laughs> quickly got fired. So, because um, Tatanka had Sherry, as he just adopted her, I think, and yep. she seconded him. And uh, Sean uh, had Luna, who eventually got passed to Bam Bam Bigelow, and this was after Sherry got passed from DiBiase. No, Savage to DiBiase shortly to Michaels. So. Yeah, it would have been kind of cool if new single bachelor Randy Savage had come to her aid because of their history, and he'd wrestled Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. That might be a little more historically uh, important than the Shawn to talk about. Yeah, let's let's get into WrestleMania nine. This is I'm my ready. this is my least favorite WrestleMania. I know a lot of people point to four, which was possibly long and had no good wrestling, but in my mind, they made good decisions on that show that greatly paid off. Well. Uh, the wrestling at WrestleMania 9 was largely no good. The booking stunk. The the atmosphere at Caesar's Palace was just weird. Mm-hmm. This was a show where uh, Yokozuna beat Bret Hart for the title. Well, they'd have Hulk Hogan come out to protest, and Mr. Fuji challenge him in a wonderful decision. <laughs> his worst uh, managerial moment. <laughs> worst manager of the year, 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, Hogan won. I didn't see the show live. I tuned into Raw the next night. They announced Hulk Hogan was the new champion. <laughs> Nowadays, you would think Money in the Bank cash-in or, <laughs> or Vince just changed his mind or they just went in another direction. But this was very confusing back then. 
And uh, Dave, uh, I call him Dave Meltzer. But I yeah. call him Dave, but he he somewhat defended it in the Observer, saying business wasn't good with bread on top. Acknowledged that while you need Hulk Hogan for business, you you couldn't build anyone while Hogan was there to cast a long shadow. But I think because '92 had been such a hard year that, um, and it all happened without Hogan. He just maybe thought, well, as soon as the belt magically goes around Hulk Hogan, then we can go back to being bigger than the NFL again. Thank God. <laughs> and uh, so it was a it was a cold spring for Vince and Hulk and whatever they expected was going to happen out of that. Mm. Yeah, super weird. And um, I, you make a really good point about WrestleMania four, like. When I was little, before I knew really what was good or bad, it was just like, holy crap, big tournament, double-sized box, brackets. <laughs> and um, if, if you don't have to watch it, you tell the story about this guy winning four matches in one night to win the WWF title, that's like, that's a cool thing. It sounds like an epic journey. And if you say, like, oh, your world title match happened like this did, it was uh, maybe not, not so inspiring. No. And um, Hogan could uh, win the title because the Mega Maniacs failed in their bid to win the tag titles, losing by DQ. And th- this, when this was announced, I thought it was a no-brainer. I thought, okay, Hulk can win the tag titles, and uh, Brett can be the world champ, which is a, a somewhat smart conclusion, quote-unquote, that <laughs> Hogan would be moved down the card but still in the spotlight in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were the Lex Luger before Lex Luger was the uh, failing babyface. Plus, you... Think of Hogan in a tag match against Money Inc. Mismatch, huge mm-hmm. mismatch. I didn't know how that match was going to last longer than two minutes, <laughs> and uh, just uh, it didn't uh, work so much. They did not become tag team champions. Yeah. Uh, the Undertaker went to three and zero as he beat. It was weird. Yeah, uh, Undertaker went to three and zero as he beat Giant Gonzalez by DQ. And um, can you imagine? I. If they had Gonzalez win, which certainly was not, you know, an, uh, a hard-to-believe outcome like any of Undertaker's WrestleMania matches today, but um, they there were not... There it goes. Yeah, there it goes. Uh, amazingly, that did not win the Observer Worst Match of the Night Award, which went to Bob Backlund, Razor Ramon, which I cannot believe actually got booked. <laughs> like, who were they trying to appeal to in this? I guess it was just to give Razor Ramon a win, probably. <laughs> Cause it wasn't. We aren't like where we are with WrestleMania now, where people get a program to get on the card. It was like, oh, there's a match. Yeah, <laughs> the guy we want to win can beat this guy who we do not care about at all. Um, Giant Gonzalez, right? Because when they sh- they they clearly want that one back every time they show the like 19 victims. What are we at? 19 victims. I believe so. Yes. Victims. One of them. So they'll be like a gong will go off every time someone dies, and bong bong bong. And uh, they'll show him pinning people or tapping Edge, and I guess tapping Hunter in the next one. But um, so the Giant Gonzalez one, instead of him, it's they don't show him like being disqualified for using. Just <laughs> usually just show him like clotheslining him or checking him or something like that. Yep, Undertaker totally won. So winning streak intact. They should just show the SummerSlam clip of him actually. Yeah, really. Yep. Yes, also on the card, uh, Luger pinned Mr. Perfect in a disappointing match, and Doink beat Crush in a match that saw the debut of multiple Doinks. uh, How did Doink do that? How did Doink clone himself? Uh, That was never explained. I just thought it was like circus magic. Mm Mm-hmm. 
How can there be two doinks? Mm. It's never happened with uh, his Hawaiian grandfather. <laughs> Uh, the opener of Shawn Michaels and Tatanka was decent. It had the debut of Luna, but it had a bad finish. And it's not like it was a super hot feud. It was just like, oh, all right, uh, here's a match. And uh, the Steiner's Head Shrinkers match was good, but I don't think it's a classic or anything. It, it's a little, I think people overrate that a little. It, it drags a bit. It goes on maybe a little bit longer than it needs to. And I'm sure I'll get hate mail about that, but that's how I feel. <laughs> Um, all I know is Beverly Brothers, Quebecers, and Heavenly Bodies all have higher-rated matches with the Steiners that year. There you go. And uh, here's a little tidbit uh, from the Observer at the time. In Brantford, Connecticut, irate wrestling fans stormed the TCI of South Central Connecticut cable offices on April 4th because of a computer malfunction that meant no wrestling. <laughs> Police had to be called because the company workers felt threatened as the irate fans started pounding on the doors and windows. <laughs> that is a little that's an overreaction I fear to missing especially Wrestlemania 9 it's an overreaction but it's the same overreaction that happens today if a stream is not in high definition <laughs> what the fuck am I not paying for here I wanted 720p what are we PR? fucking cavemen here yeah <laughs> <sighs> it buffered for half a second <laughs> completely ruined the experience ugh Anyway. That's weird. I would be scared to be in there. They'd be like, we wanted it. It was the <laughs> biggest toga party ever, and we missed it. Oh, yes. Jim Ross uh, debuted there. Yes, that's right. Hey. Jim Ross debuted to kick off a... <laughs> Sadly, the Be A Star campaign was not around back then to <laughs> save him from his two-decade fate, but yes. He was not good old yet. No, nope, he was just JR. He was Jim Ross, a fine Atlanta broadcaster. <laughs> They'd see to that. <laughs> They'd fix his wagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lex Luger had been wrecking guys with his forearm, including Bret Hart in a pre-WrestleMania press conference, leading Jack Tunney to investigate. Well, it turns out Luger had a steel plate in his forearm following surgery after a motorcycle accident, so they made him wear an arm pad. The question is, they didn't know this beforehand? They didn't make him have a physical? And uh, second of all, okay, Lex Luger is a huge guy. If he came running at me and hit me, I'm, it's not surprised I'd be knocked out. But I think it's because he was a WCW guy. He had that stigma. And Vince was mad. He was beating all these WWF guys. He was up. So he tried to even the playing field. Plus, when he went back to WCW in 95, that forearm did not knock people out anymore. So maybe he had the plate taken out. I don't know. That could be. That's a very good point. Although his WCW game still had him uh, hitting people with a forearm. But they oh, wow. Maybe they used the same engine. I don't really know what that means. I'm just trying to impress you, Joe. I'm, that was a very good effort. But um, <clears throat> what a uh, palette swap. Palette swap. Right? There you go. Yeah, I remember they in the WCW games they had them in like American flag trunks, and I thought, like, <laughs> is that legal? But I guess you can't copyright the flag. So good point. He he wasn't even the total package uh, in WWF though. He was always the narcissist, and then made in the USA. Yeah. So when people say, like, oh, if only Sting had been able to go to the WWF, he would have just, like, finally been made into this transcendent superstar befitting a man called Sting. <laughs> like, yes, that's why his counterpart Lex Luger became a huge star, mm. and his, the most similar person to him in wrestling, the Ultimate Warrior, totally tore it up in the same company. So To yeah. be fair, they kind of half-ass that Luger push in, later in the year, but we'll... No, I'm kidding. 
Yeah, but uh, you know, a lot of insiders believe that it was the damage sustained from the forearm that caused Bret Hart to lose to Yokozuna. Do you think that might have played a factor? Uh, it certainly could have. Yeah, uh, that kicked off a house show feud between the two. But um, concussion <laughs> awareness was not worth. <laughs> That's right. Bret shouldn't even have wrestled. Yep, it was the same day. It was uh, Colt McCoy's doctors? Uh, <laughs> they just like, nah, he's fine. Yep. Get out there. Football. It's the showcase of the immortals. Mm. That was the year um, that um, American Idol guy recorded the awesome Whoa WrestleMania oh, that's right. song. WrestleMania, the album. Featuring all these guys who played no part in WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> but the Nasty Boys, oh wait. <laughs> yep. Big Boss, oh no. Yeah, this is their life. <laughs> See, Mr. Hughes came in as a guy in a suit. I don't remember this, but apparently they tried to do the Randy Savage, all the managers are vying for this wrestler thing, but they had so few heel managers at this point. It was, it was basically Slick wanting to reform him and just <laughs> being interested until Mr. Hughes uh, ultimately settled on Harvey Whippleman. And I always felt bad for him, uh, Mr. Hughes, that is, because uh, he had to wrestle in dress clothes. And you get a job in wrestling to avoid wearing a suit. And you know he had to wear that on the road, too. Like, he couldn't put on Zubaz after the show. Seems crazy uncomfortable. It yeah, it's unfortunate, but he also got his face all busted up because he wore his glasses during his matches, and his right? face got cut up during one yep. of them in the jobber match. But see, that's why Percy Watson took the frames out. <laughs> Is he still employed? He has made a resurgence on the never-ending NXT season. Oh, okay. Where they just brought back other NXT people to hang out. And now he's in a friendly friendship with Titus O'Neil, and they just hang out and and enjoy each other's company and try to w- win matches against um, Kurt Hawkins and the other guy, Tyler Rex. So, hey. to answer your question needlessly, yeah. <laughs> but he, the problem is he doesn't say "oh yeah" anymore. So what's the point, Purse? I've seen. I'm- I remember hearing about him in FCW, and I remember him being like on the road for a bit, and then he just—he wasn't anywhere. He was in limbo. Mm-hmm. NXT, in and of itself, is basically limbo. Yeah, I so. suppose so. Uh, Mike Shaw debuted as the Mad Monk and Evil Monk, and seemed to be set up for a feud with Typhoon. But he's turned babyface as Fry Ferguson as he feared pressure from religious groups. <laughs> he had one televised match before the gimmick was scrapped in favor of what was originally called Sebastian Booger, then just shortened to Bastion Booger, a gimmick where he was ugly and had a hunch. And um, he lost his debut match to Virgil and <laughs> limited success. And he actually passed away last year. I had forgotten that. But he, uh, yeah, you hear good things about him, like up in Stampede, but he never had good gimmicks he was a truck driver and an insane person in WCW and that someone limited his mobility he's on that awesome Owen Hart comp from the early 90s called imaginary great matches that <laughs> Owen Hart <laughs> <laughs> including Owen Hart versus Steve Kern at Wrestlemania 8 oh. this uh, the resur- uh, resumed Owen and Mike Shaw feud where they picked up right where they left off <laughs> Also debuting the Smoking Guns, pew, 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 Bill. They were cops. Yeah. This started an 11-year, five-gimmick run for Billy Gunn. And, uh, How many partners? Uh, let's see. He had uh, the Bart, he had the Road Dog, Chuck, 
Um, Double trouble crap on a stick. <laughs> I think that was it for major tag team partners, right? Shoguns. Yeah. Oh, um, Shogun, I forgot. Let's see. One Billy Gun in China would play grab ass with each other. <laughs> Billy Gun. Who else? There is someone maybe right at the end. Oh, Billy Gun Hardcore Holly is the Don't Fire Us, We're Cool team in 2003. <laughs> Billy and Chuck. Billy and Chuck. I said Chuck. Oh. That was the Chuck I was referring to. I thought you meant Chuck Knobloch. Okay. Yep. All right, so good talk. <laughs> yes. And uh, the Guns, they were a fine tag team, but I largely associate them with the steep decline in tag team wrestling because that feud with the Godwins, Guns, and Bajanas in 1980s <laughs> really killed my interest in the tag titles, and and that led us down the dark road we're at today. Yeah, yeah. Who, who, if the WrestleFest came out in 93, would be the bosses? Um... Quebecers probably. I guess. Would allow I that. guess. Or they could just use the Superstars '88 engine and plug in um, John Gonzalez for. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, if only. Yeah. And that you well, your customizable online WrestleFest game. You should be able to pick what year you want. Oh man. They're sitting on so much money, they don't even know it. They, no, let's let's launch a network instead and have no. Fucking you had in mind for it though. Yeah, Ugh. I should host a video game show on the uh, on the uh, on this new WWE. <laughs> <gasps> That's a good. Oh, idea. Another host departs. When we <laughs> here. Sorry, I know I'm all this talent getting scooped up. It's uh, <laughs> it's like '85 all over again. There was another newcomer to the WWF who made his debut on the May 3rd Raw named the Kamikaze Kid, who lost in swift fashion to Doink the Clown, the same show as that Michael's Duggan Lumberjack match. This was uh, Sean Wallman, best known as the Lightning Kid from Global. The next week he was named the Cannonball Kid, and he lost to Mr. Hughes. And um, I remember talking to our, our mutual friend, CRZ, at the time, who was on the internet way back in 93, and uh, all ten people on the internet at the time were like, oh my god, this guy is so talented, they're killing him. WF has no clue what they're doing, which uh, some things certainly never change. Yeah, Wade Keller has talked about this too, because you know he—that's his his main man, um, Waltman. It was like for that whole run, it was I cannot believe this is happening, <laughs> but uh, I guess patience paid off. Yes, as it did with with Al Snow and uh, Avatar and Max Moon and, <laughs> and terrific Terry Taylor and who was the young pistol Lance Cassidy yes or is that the dead guy Lance no. Cade Lance Cassidy yes so th- they all flourished if I remember anyway, this brings no us, worries no this brings us to the May 17th edition of Raw one of those shows that May 17th up. yeah whenever oh no this is May 19th right yeah I tricked okay. you into saying it <laughs> uh, here comes Kane in his Walter's mask um oh. Now, the 517 show uh, often gets mentioned in the best single episode discussion. The show started off with Mario Gennetti making a surprise return and challenging Shawn Michaels to an icy title match that night. They followed up with a seemingly normal match between the kid and Razor Ramon, which the kid shockingly won with a moonsault. And the show ended with a shocking title win for Mario Gennetti after Mr. Perfect, who was feuding with Shawn through a towel in Shawn's face. And uh, 
some a curious decision as he could no longer win the Intercontinental title because he wouldn't fight his fellow babyface Marty. But it ended up being a moot point. <laughs> yeah, it, um, this show, and particularly my, um, my favorite person in the world, Marty Jannetty, coming back, had me so excited I couldn't even go to sleep that night. How bad? I, I, I rewatched the show recently. I remembered... Well, I remember the good parts. I didn't remember the Yokozuna Kamala showdown, but... Oh, were the fat ring girls there? Uh, <laughs> they were there. I don't know if it was for that match, but I somehow remember that. Hmm. Anyway, Razor was so upset by his loss, he offered to put up money for a rematch, which the newly dubbed one 2 3 kid declined, saying Razor just wants to cripple him. And I'm curious what the reaction would be today from uh, one like, say, Brian Alvarez, since the babyface was avoiding a fight with the heat. <laughs> But at the same time, this was a 20-year-old against a much larger opponent, so I, I, I felt it made sense. But the offers kept increasing until it got to $10,000, and the rematch was arranged. Uh, and on the June 21st Raw, they had the rematch, which ended with the kids stealing the money and hopping in a waiting car and escaping, which is also a curious babyface finish. Indeed, it is. I mean, I, surprising. I wonder if when the... whole thing was laid out it was to turn razor ramon baby face or if they just kind of because i'm sure he was getting pretty good pops at that point just by being i Cubano think it's a cool. plan and it didn't so, really work um yeah this is rather memorable stuff yeah uh, oh no i've lost you oh no i'm here i've experienced technical difficulties i'm here if you're still here Yes. Okay. Let's definitely leave this part into people's memories of how perfect our show has always been or never called into question. Sounds reasonable. Uh, let's see. Oh, Adam Baum debuted, managed by Johnny Polo. We'll get to in a minute. Adam Baum was uh, Brian Clark, the former Night Stalker and the future Wrath and guy from Chronic. The gimmick here was he was billed as being from Three Mile Island. He had yellow eyes and a red tongue and uh, presumably cancer, but um, he was an athletic man, and he just never went too far. No, no, sir. He, um, the Polo family, <laughs> he was putting together quite a crew at that point. Um, I don't, I guess Adam Bomb was strong. I guess Adam Bomb lost out on never getting to be a big, strong guy for The Undertaker to beat, but maybe he wasn't supernatural enough at the time. I don't know. He was uh, He was later transferred to Harvey Whippleman, manager of humans, and uh, he turned face and threw footballs into the crowd. And, uh, and he had that little explosion, too, but just a bad character. He, his name is a play on words, so it's always a good thing. Sure. Adams. Uh, Johnny Polo, the former Scotty Flamingo in WCW, debuted as a manager, and he was great. Go find the uh, best of Johnny Polo on commentary on YouTube, and it's uh, it's very enjoyable. I thought Gorilla Monsoon was actually his uncle. <laughs> if only. <laughs> but uh, there was a new pay-per-view on the horizon, King of the Ring, which meant uh, qualifying matches on television. Doink and Mr. Perfect had a memorable series of matches. The first two went to a time limit draw, and Perfect finally beat him on the third match. You know how important this tournament was, Justin? They were fighting so hard just to get in. They cared mm-hmm. back then. 
just to qualify. Yeah, but perfect pin the wrong doink. But still. <laughs> That's the risk you take when you double down on doinks. Correct. Ask the Bellas. They <laughs> lose that way every time. <laughs> That's true. Let's see. On to June. Dave Heath had a tryout match, and Dave expected him to be brought in with a vampire gimmick. For some reason, it took another five years for him. It's giving his gangrel. I don't know what the holdup was. Um, technology to create a burning ring of fire must not have been in place yet. I suppose, yeah, the Manhattan Center probably would have burned down. But Terrible accident. Mm. Uh, Shawn Michaels won the IC title back from Marty at a house show. Thanks to the debut of a new bodyguard, Diesel. That being Kevin Nash, the former Master Blaster slash Oz slash Vinny Vegas. Uh, it was a good pair. They, they seem to be the two whenever a smaller wrestler is teamed with a larger one. They are often compared to um, Sean and Diesel. And I, I like Diesel, and uh, yeah, I liked his, his name. I didn't like his theme music, which is just truck noises. And when he turned babyface, they, uh, they realized this would not pump up the crowd. So they gave him this blues rock song that did not pump up the crowd at all. Yes, Diesel is interpreted by John Cougar Mellencamp. Burner, burner. And, but, what music would you have had him use in this awesome run? And remember, your answer cannot be he should not have been involved in this kind of awesome run. I would have gone back to the old Diesel. I mean, that's where he got the pop. The NWO that's, music just seemed uh, strange and incongruous to his uh, return. Yeah, that works. That's what the people in Boston loved at the Rumble. Oh yeah, honk. On to the King of the Ring. We have pontificated before on this show quite a bit. It's a very good show. It has good wrestling, good booking, and a little history. There was talk that the WWF title would be put up for grabs in the tournament due to the controversy at the end of WrestleMania. But they went with Hogan and Yokozuna. And I guess the deal is they wanted Hogan to drop the title to Brett, and he had wanted none of that. And he didn't like where the business was at the time, didn't want to be associated with it. He has boat show, so he dropped the title to Yokozuna. Yokozuna is big. Yes. But heart is small. There you go. That is a formula that holds true to this day. Hogan spent most of the Nitro years, I think, trying to get Yoko to come down just so he could beat him and get his win back. Mm. Just come here for one night. You can hang out with um, nobody. I think they had originally contacted someone from Japan to be the referee, but I guess it fell through. They went with the exploding camera at the end. But um, Hogan worked a few more house shows, including one where he got Horace Grant out of the crowd to pin Ted DiBiase. But to 99.9% of fans, this was the end of the almost decade-long run of Hulkamania. And I wonder how that Hogan-Brett match would have gone. Probably not well for Brett, given how things worked out for The Rock, but... um. Speaking of Brett, the ultimate warrior. Yeah, but uh, speaking of Brett, he had one of the better. Sting. (laughs) Who has it worked out for? Anyone? Um, no. No. Brock Lesnar. Oh yeah, that's true. He never got that one back, even though he he came for it. Expected it. Yeah, he thought, well, obviously I'll beat this guy, but no. Why wouldn't I? That's the whole point of Hulkamania. Stupid. (laughs) They're like, um. I'm thinking you could corner Edge. Why would I do that? Ugh, but, uh... Yeah, Spread had one of the better one-night performances in company history. He had a good match with Razor. 
excellent with Mr. Perfect and a pretty damn great finals against Bam Bam and uh, this show kicked off the years long Lawler Brett feud the whole show is a bit of a downer as the heels held all the titles at the end and Hogan was wiped out and Brett didn't get to celebrate his win but still enjoyable absolutely sandwiched between two disappointing curtain heading pay-per-view matches is this yeah one? yeah probably the last uh, the last hurrah pretty much I think Benoit beat the crap out of him after he uh, turned on the <laughs> horseman and um, but of course Benoit lost that match because he was Chris Benoit in 1997 and Kurt Henning was Kurt Henning so mm. Anyway, the day after King of the Ring, the Steiners won the tag titles at a wrestling challenge taping, although it didn't air on TV. Money, Inc. won them back two days later, and the Steiners won them again three days later. I guess the idea was to spice things up and show people things happen at house shows, which is something they try to do every now and then. I know they had, like, I think Christian won the IC belt against Booker several years back, but they haven't made efforts in a while. So, I think Miz and Morrison won the tag titles from... Um, oh, was it Punk and Kingston? Punk and Kofi, yeah. That may have been the last intentional type of change. <laughs> intentional. Not counting times when the modern equivalent of Mabel accidentally pinned him. <laughs> when he fatted all over him. Yep. Whoops. That's uh, what I would do if I was fat. I'd be like, yes, I can't wait to get squashed by the world heavyweight champion CM Punk. <laughs> <laughs> and then... You're like, oh no, I'm too fat. I guess to protect kayfabe, you will have to make me the world champion. What's that? I was going to win it like a dozen other people this year anyway? Well, now I feel bad. Is this a Brodus Clay internal monologue? or? She betcha. <laughs> Assuming Brodus Clay is an actual person and not a figment. Had I not seen him on NBC, <laughs> I would be unsure whether this is some very curious gimmick where uh, it's like waiting for Godot. It's he. There's Brodus Clay in all of us, if we just believe. She. <laughs> Wouldn't that's, it be awesome if they had the USS Intrepid thing today? That's probably next on on our docket. It is actually next on the on the. Hey, well, all right. I'll I'll make my cool joke after you introduce it. Get ready. Right. So uh, Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji decide to celebrate their title win by having a body slam challenge on the deck of the USS Intrepid on the Fourth of July. I don't know why the Intrepid agreed to this. <laughs> I, I don't think they were obligated to, to to do this, but, you know, whatever. It was tribute uh, to the troops. <laughs> except kind of the opposite. Right. There were a lot of wrestlers, and apparently pro athletes, possibly including Reggie Roby, punter for the Miami Dolphins, who was unsuccessful in his no. attempt. They were fighting for America's pride as well as a Chevy pickup. And things looked bleak until Lex Luger, who was very proud of himself, but on this day, he was more proud to be an American. Arrived via helicopter, and he slammed the evil foreign menace. What snapped in Lex Luger? That he had like a nervous breakdown in front of the <laughs> Statue of Liberty, and was like, "Oh, my self-obsession, my narcissism has been all for naught. It's really this great country." I like to think maybe he like was distraught and not. Going to a draw with Tatanka, <laughs> and he was going to kill himself by jumping off the Statue of Liberty. But then he realized, no, there, there is a greater <laughs> purpose. Yes, get me a helicopter. An eagle landed on his forearm because it was attracted to the steel plate somehow. It was like, the <laughs> it was the red, white, and blue eagle from the Colbert Report. 
God bless America. I must slam this man for America. U S S. Here's my joke. It goes like this. Wouldn't it be awesome if they did a USS Intrepid Body Slam Challenge today and had a whole bunch of people like Tebow and whoever come and try and slam Mark Henry or Rodas Clay? Like James Harrison. They all lined up. I don't, I mean, you remember the punter, but I don't remember any specific guys. Backlund tried. He didn't do it. No. I, I don't think Tatanko's there and they asked him. Oh, uh, the Steiners, I believe. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember which actual athletes they got to show up. But like today, they could get all these MMA guys to do it and be like, I can't. Oh no. <laughs> Some things beat. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu, BJJ, I guess we don't have all the techniques, hmm. And, um, I don't know, Zidane Chara maybe? Could you know? <laughs> okay, if some of the Pittsburgh Steelers defensive men there, they could have an illegal hit on Yokozuna first to stun him, like, like. <laughs> um, Right, well, today their celebrity loving means I think they probably wouldn't even bother with athletes. They'd just be like, oh my god, we got Kate Beckinsale. Let's show up and try and slam him. Jeremy Piven. <laughs> um, I love the idea of Tim Tebow showing up. Right, you'd just be like, this one, if you believe in yourself. <laughs> Tebow wouldn't be able to do it, and then some kind of sheer fluke of circumstance would allow it all to come together. <laughs> That's true. Perhaps All the Broncos like, defense would come and slam Mark Henry for him. And and go, I did it! <laughs> Tebow would get the credit. Mm-hmm. I like to think that this past game was one of the rare rare games America was rooting for the New England Patriots to win a football game. They, I, got the, I got that sense, but maybe that's just me. And people were ready for it to happen. Yeah. Anyway. But they'd be behind him if, if a man like Mark Henry refused to be body slammed. They'd be like, do it, Tebow. We're all behind you now. Especially if he hated America. Yeah. That seals the deal right there. Yep. And he had Mr. Fuji with him. <laughs> Another questionable call by Mr. Fuji. This really, um. Oh my god. <laughs> if this has not happened, uh, <laughs> Lex Luger, I don't know, would probably not get the title shot. He Severely might- unlikely. Damn. I mean, Bret Hart won a one-night tournament. <laughs> I know, and he, he doesn't get anything. Nope. But uh, this, of course, I mean, they they said, like, oh, we need a new Hulk Hogan. You put on a flag. You're up. You're that was pretty, basically you're it. You're pretty strong. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story of the whole Bret Hart thing. Hogan, Luger, Diesel, Sean, every time they're like, ugh, we got to get something better than <laughs> yeah. Bret Hart. And every time they're like, Bret Hart, will you come back and win it's- the title? It's Jim Ross thing, only with uh, a little more dignity. Mm-hmm. Oh. But uh, this kicked off the Lex Express uh, to build up the SummerSlam main event. When we probably very soon, but you know, if people say. Yeah. I think I lagged and then talked to I think so. you. Really no, I, I heard a lag and stopped, but I'm not sure. Oh, good work. All right. We're great. back, though. We're back in real time. Good. Uh, yes, yeah, so it, it was strange, like. He's like, I need to drum up support, but why do you need? <laughs> Who will be the favorite in this match against the evil foreigner? And are you trying to let people know this is happening because this is a a pay per view, which is a big deal? But it was a it was a media tour to make him into a new big star, and uh, and it it didn't work. Today would just be a Twitter petition, I guess. I suppose so. Facebook hashtag he- Made in the USA. 
he would be the number one trending thing in the world, like a <laughs> like Alicia Fox was on. <laughs> Joe, are you having a very foxy holiday? I like think so. Okay, I'm good. me too. All right, good stuff. Should be satisfied. <laughs> yeah, they aired uh, lots of video packages about him growing up and how he took steroids, but uh, only once because he was hurt or something like that. Mm-hmm. He grew up not. He grew up in America, though. Yep. Yeah. So that's what matters. Uh, he, um, they, he, uh, also they recorded some kind of similarly John Mellencampy endearing song about needing a hero, and Lex Luger was that hero. The l- lyrics of the song propose that he will be our hero. Hmm. He wasn't, though. Nope. He kind of fucked it all up, but. Yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, there was a match on the July 10th, uh, Raw, where Yokozuna gave Crush four bonsai drops and knocked him out of action for a few months. A bad year for Crush so far. <laughs> um, he just kept sitting on him. I was like, <laughs> to me at that point, Yokozuna was so fat, and uh, what could be worse than him sitting down on you from a uh, relatively high height? He, to do it more than once, though, because you saw it happen to those enhancement guys. They were like, it was over. They were flattened. Yes. So to do it more than once is, like, cruel, unusual, quite frankly, dangerous. Mm. Uh, speaking of evil foreigners, uh, Ludwig Borga debuted via vignettes as an Aryan Finnish environmentalist kind of guy. <laughs> America may be the land of milk and honey, but to him, it smelled funny. And, uh, <laughs> he did not last long, and he was certainly an interesting character. Or things he did later on, but uh, not so much here. He, um, no, a weird moment in time, the existence of Ludwig Borga. It's a damn shame that, um, like, my hero, Marty Jannetty, had gone <laughs> Like, that title change back couldn't have been at SummerSlam? I guess, yeah, realistically, Shawn Michaels' Mr. Perfect seemed like a much better idea, and, mm-hmm. uh... Couldn't have anticipated to be the letdown. It was like, man, Marty, come on. You had it going. Uh, Some people just have Guy's number, and uh, he, Michaels is the only guy, I guess because of the time they spent together, who he knew how to deal with. Yeah. Let's see. More debuts. Men on a mission. They were They're f- men. Yes. They were formerly known as the Harlem Knights in Memphis, and uh, I found a clip of them coming out and saying they were tired of seeing... Headbutting, booty-shaking black wrestlers disgracing their race. So they jump to the WWF and basically <laughs> become the fat boys. They um, they were definitely on a mission. And, um, yeah, they were very good. <laughs> really? At rapping. Oh, nope. okay. Neither that. I don't know. Who would have... Could have anticipated the staying power, though, that Mabel would have over time. It was... I I liked Mabel squashing dudes, but uh, they were not a good tag team. They were on a mission. They were on a mission. Mom. Wasn't the story that, like, Oscar trapped Vince in a elevator and rapped, and Vince was so impressed he... <laughs> Maybe um, something else I'm making up, but it sounds good. That story is too beautifully earnest to be false. Mm-hmm. We had some more debuts. Well done. Timothy Wells and Stephen Dunn, or uh, Rex King and Steve Dahl, if you read the Aftermags, debuted as proto-Simon Deans? Did they have a fitness gimmick? <laughs> or 
I know they, they were just very proud of how adequate they were. Okay. I know they wore uh, bow ties, so they were proto-otungas, or protungas, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> wordplay. Hmm. Yeah. The very yeah. wordplay of their names. <laughs> yes, they did not do much. <clears throat> they are one of the better combined name teams, much better than Airboom. Yeah. Do you see that Airboom shirt? That's the worst thing I ever saw. They're skydiving out of a plane. <laughs> Or are they really? Yes, it's hideous. Oh my god! Sounds bad to me. Oh, they're high flyers, Joe. They catch air. Oh, yeah. They do the do. <laughs> they're not going to be confined by. They your do the <laughs> synthetic weed. That... Boom! Oh. Satire. Um, yes, I had one idea for an alternate air boom tag team that you liked, but I forget what it was. Hmm. It was um, oh, it was, it was um. When Evan Bourne was out, he should have replaced her, his partner, Kofi, teaming with A dot J dot, so they could be boom, period. Oh, that's right. Tremendous joke from your Tremendous Raw recap. Thank you. If people wonder what happened in that Raw in England two months ago, definitely go read that lone piece of work I've done over the last two years. Very informative. It was. Well done. With D-U-N-N. It was was done probably named after Kevin Dunn, I bet. Possibly synthesis it, of it all. Perhaps the wordplay was just too juicy to ignore us. But. <laughs> uh, oh, finally a good tag team, the Quebecers, Jacques do, and Pierre. We've spoken at length about them, as in like mm-hmm. an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. Our, our thoughts are well known that we greatly appreciated them. I did find a funny line in the Observer. Where Dave noted they had cool double team moves, but Pierre sure lands hard on the jobbers, which sums things up uh, pretty perfectly. I'd say so. And uh, let's see. If there's one thing we should reiterate, though, if people didn't hear the Quebecers show, or if they're just generally curious, they're not the Mounties. No, they're not. Okay. Uh, James E. Cornette, running Smoky Mountain Wrestling at the time, debuted and brought along the Heavenly Bodies. Jimmy Del Rey and Dr. Tom Pritchard and lobbied for a title match against the Steiners. And uh, he also hooked up with Fuji and Yokozuna as the American spokesman. Fuji was not much of a talker. And uh, Dave took a week off the Observer to attend the Smoky Mountain Fan Week, which I... And now he does shows when his kid goes to the emergency room. <laughs> so I appreciate his level of dedication has greatly improved. I Well, that was probably pretty... Um Engaging fan week with uh, your dirty white boys and all that. <laughs> good times to spend on a smoky mountain. Mm. Yes. But uh, back to the Razor 123 Kids story. Uh, Ted DiBiase thought it was bullshit. <laughs> that pup. And decided to show him how it was done. And Ted DiBiase, just as a man who makes good investments, thought that Razor throwing around that money was not very prudent whatsoever. No. They had a match and Razor distracted DiBiase. Kid got the win and uh, turned Razor face. And if you thought this led to Money Inc. versus Razor and the Kid of SummerSlam, you were wrong. But yeah, I had that, to come up with a reason for one, two, three Kid to inexplicably lose. Yeah, I know the IRS. Yeah, I wish that feud, though, as all great IRS feuds, would have been about, and quite frankly, maybe it was, and I just don't remember, if he would have been like, one, two, three, kid, 
you got a bag full of ten thousand dollars, and you didn't declare it on your taxes. You know that let's is. Have a match. I, I don't think that was the case. It was just let's have a match, and. Mm-hmm. But um, that's and actually real good. Thank you. It's in my nineties, early nineties fanfics of. All <laughs> I would read those. But um, storylines that um. Largely has to do with Crush's clown grandson. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, this gets us to SummerSlam, which is a really good show. Uh, the Steiner's defense against the Heavenly Bodies is real good. There's a six-man tag that's real good. The whole Jerry Lawler, Bret Hart thing is great, uh, where Bret beat Doink and then Lawler, but held on the sharpshooter too long, got DQ'd, got his family involved and uh, even Yokozuna Alex Luger is enjoyable especially compared to the Wrestlemania 10 match but the ending is strange as Luger wins by count out and basically fails to win the world title but he <laughs> celebrates with confetti and balloons yeah kind of uh, killed the whole thing and is just a notorious what the hell decision in the history of the company um, maybe he like Savage just wasn't sure He'd been through so much like weird championship rules like bleeding in 1988 and athletic commissions and things like that. He probably just hoped for the best. <laughs> he did not attend that symposium either because he yeah. was not with the company. Was it announced before or after the match that he couldn't get any more title shots? Or was I it? thought it was before. They yeah. This was his and one chance. He was just confident. Yep. You would think he would put in, like, okay, and if I win by count-out, that's obviously... No. You wonder what happens if they just said, you know, here you go, he wins. I mean, given... That's the exception, right? No. You get one match. But I won. Well, balloons. (laughs) Balloons. But um, you wonder if... uh, I mean, I doubt he would have been a big star, or... Or they would have declared a national holiday as by the <laughs> WrestleMania, the arcade game. <laughs> but, um, I think it plays out exactly like it plays out with Diesel, where they want this guy and they give him a big opportunity and make him the center of it, and it's just he does not connect with the crowd like Bret Hart does, and it goes back to Bret Hart. Yeah, I'm gonna play right. out exactly like that. Still, it's a curious decision, though. Mm-hmm. But uh, also on the show, the Mr. Perfect Shawn Michaels match was disappointing. And uh, as mentioned, we got Razor beating DiBiase in the latter's last WWF match, and IRS beating the kid for some reason. And Undertaker beat Giant Gonzalez, and it was basically the end of him. Although he somewhat turned on Harvey Whippleman and came out and confronted Adam Baum, dressed like one of the, like Deuce and Domino. He was wearing, like, the leather jacket and and jeans, so... um but uh, yeah, that was basically that. But still, I, I enjoyed SummerSlam '93. The first, it was almost a new generational type of show. But yes, <laughs> the Brave New World after a prior generation was on the way out. Yes, Brave New World indeed. So that gets us to we're in September, and the Quebecers won the tag titles on Raw via Quebec Rules, which meant. <laughs> Tiles could change hands on a DQ, and we've talked about this before. Had a real sinking feeling watching this match. Those rules. <laughs> I'm like, something's going, some bad's going to happen, some bad, and it did. But the the match is actually really good. It was left off the the Best of Raw season one DVD, but it's on the uh, Raw Prime Cuts VHS. If you remember that, one of the all time great Coliseum tapes. It that feels. Was- 
It's on there along with the Crush Savage Summit and oh, all yeah. kinds of important stuff. <laughs> the um, yeah. Now you're a connoisseur of these video games, huh? and uh, would you rather have the option in the games of the era to play under Quebec rules as an option? Is because I know they won't give you like tag team match in certain games. <laughs> yes. Considering that limitation, would you rather, given the choice, Quebec rules? Or would you rather be able to have a very special rest in peace match? <laughs> well, we didn't know what the rest in peace match was. Is it only the Undertaker knew the rules, which yes, seems a little unfair? Yes, we still don't know. What no, I'm unsure like. what that means. Given that a lot of my offense was punching in those games, and punches were, uh, I think, legal under rest in peace rules. <laughs> yes, and uh, I, I know they're. I guess they would. Perhaps weren't a DQ in, in a Quebec rules match, so mm-hmm. I, would, I would go with the rest in peace match, whatever it may be. Oh, yeah, if you, like, hit the ropes and kill the referees you could do in those games, mm-hmm. boom, you've lost the title under yeah, Quebec rules. So I would, or if you hit R to eye gouge, you've lost the title under Quebec rules. <laughs> yeah, it won't do it all. Uh, Shawn Michaels got suspended and stripped of the Intercontinental title. I think because they said he failed the drug test and he, sweared he, he swore he didn't and he, he ended up quitting... And they announced he had been suspended for failing to meet his contractual obligations, which was basically true, I suppose. But um, Meltzer even <laughs> noted he had been unhappy with the company, which is why he got real fat around this time. <laughs> yep. So they had a, a curious format where they had a 20-man battle royal, and the final two wrestlers would have a match later on. Those final two were Razor Ramon and Rick Martel, surprisingly, who hadn't really done much, but okay. And uh, Razor beat him to win the IC title. He was all on and off for a few years in a result that was spoiled by the, uh, I believe the Boston Herald had a wrestling column at the time and spoiled the results for me. But, um, yeah, early, early dirt sheet for me. But, uh, yeah, that was that. And Razor as Icy Champ would be a motif for several years. <laughs> sure would. Um, yeah, that, cause I remember that battle royally went over the top and then it just ceased. Yep. They're like, we did it. All right. <laughs> you and me, we did it together. But, uh, yeah. Curiously about that Battle Royal, Steve Lombardi was in there as MVP, the most violent player, which is basically the the same character as Abe Knuckleball Schwartz <laughs> that he dusted off a year later when baseball went on strike, but mm-hmm. a, a very a rare sighting and to be given uh, a, a title opportunity like that. He, I guess, just maybe it was first come, first serve. <laughs> He just signed up for it. When they say Invitational Battle Royal, that's what it means, right? He yeah. The, register for it. The death problem was pretty bad at that point. So, mm-hmm. Let's see. Gene Okerlund left around this time, as did Mike McGurk. And uh, they wanted announcers to move to Connecticut to save on travel costs because business sucked around this time. And that led to a couple more departures later in the year. I... Right. Now, you've asked me to move to accommodate this show. Yes. I will do it. Okay. We are going to be roommates going forward. <laughs> you can so. uh, share a room with my son. Perfect. Perfect. I enjoy mobiles myself. They <laughs> around. They have things on them. Objects. I love objects. So, that's great. He has a... Uh, he doesn't really have a... He, We've actually mentioned this before. He has a little machine that um, plays Swamp Noises, which sounds Skinner's uh, theme music. <laughs> um, I would like, because if you guys, 
the apricot baby food is my favorite flavor. So <laughs> he's eating real food, so you'd be on your own in that. Excellent, excellent. Looking forward to that. Big adventures in 2012. Joe Gagney's roommate. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. Uh, let's see. Doink turned face after Jerry Lala called him an idiot. <laughs> and uh, soon after, got into a feud with Bam Bam Bigelow when they had a confrontation. But Matt, o- uh, Matt Osborne, who originally played Doink, was suspended and didn't return. So Doink ended up being played by Steve Lombardi and Ray Apollo. So that was pretty much the end of anything interesting there. And he lost the one good thing about... Well, I mean, people love Doink as this, like, oh, he was so insidious. Doink and Waylon Mercy were the true heroes of the 90s. <laughs> we just weren't ready for them. Like, no, they they weren't that good, but he did have awesome, scary music. Yes. Which soon just changed to... The, the regular music, yes. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Cebu had some trials at this time and was offered a contract, but he turned it down to stay in Japan. An interesting what if, which probably he wouldn't probably not have lasted too long. I'm guessing. Uh, do you think it would have lasted longer than he did uh, when he signed with WCW in '95? It's possible because of uh, again the depth problem was not much. Maybe he would have caught on. Depending mm-hmm. what he did, if he was Sabu, he was certainly different from everyone else. Mm-hmm. But we'll never know. No. Actually, well, he did have his run years later. Oh, okay. We do know. <laughs> you know. So there you go. Uh, Survivor Series was taking shape. The main event was the All-Americans of Lex Luger, the Steiners and Tatanka against the foreign fanatics who were fanatical about being friends. <laughs> Yokozuna, I almost said Victor Borga, which would have been odd, but uh, Ludwig Borga and the Quebecers. Borga and Tatanka had a match on October 30th where Mitsufuji was at ringside, allowing Borga to whack Tatanka with a chair and pin him with one finger, ending his near two-year undefeated streak and knocking him out of Survivor Series. Also, uh, we had the uh, Hart Brothers of Brett Owen, Keith, and Bruce against Jerry Lawler and his Knights. And uh, Bam Bam the Headshrinkers and Bastard Booger against Four Doinks. And the Razor DiBiase issue shifted to Razor IRS. So they had their teams as well. Now, uh, Crush came back, and boy, was he not happy with Randy Savage. Apparently, apparently Savage encouraged Crush to get in the ring with Yokozuna, saying he would have his back, and then he just sat on his ass while... Uh, Crush got killed. That seems a valid complaint to me. But um, I'd say so. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Savage saw Crush as a threat, so Crush came back with Mr. Fuji. Uh, apparently, Mr. Fuji owned a hotel near Crush's house or something, so Crush could take him for his word. It was not a very good explanation, but uh, Savage That's didn't. Interesting. Yeah, Savage didn't really explain himself. Just wanted to talk it out with Crush. Want Crush to uh, step back. Crush thought about it. They shook hands. People were going crazy. But then Crush attacked him in the aisle and uh, bloodied up Savage. Savage came back two weeks later. They had a very heated brawl. And the Macho Man threw Vince on the floor. And uh, a rare instance of uh, Vince getting involved at that point. And uh, Savage got suspended as a commentator. But still allowed to be active as a wrestler, which was odd. But there you go. It's good. That was good stuff back then. I have to say, rewatching that. I, I, you was he those press slams onto the guardrail, right? Yeah. That's correct. It bladed up. Oh, it was. And Crush started dressing in like blacks and grays and painting his face. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I forget. But uh, anyway, on to here's a note from a a wrestling challenge taping in Carbondale, Pennsylvania. Don't know if that's near your neck of the woods, but uh, at the high school they had a a challenge taping, and this is a quote: 
It was later reported the principal and school board were upset in the condition the school was left in, <laughs> taping, including whiskey bottles in the cafeteria, human feces in the locker room floor, and a broken door. <laughs> I have questions here. I was curious who and why uh, someone took a shit on the locker room floor, and why didn't they end with that instead of and lead with a broken door, which is is not a, a tremendous deal of someone taking a shit in the locker room. Um, I guess because wrestling, fuck you, probably. <laughs> there you <laughs> Would go. Be the explanation for that, and um, just a historically mature and um, classy group of people did what came naturally. Yes. They're like, ha ha, we just ribbed this school, guys. <laughs> Good rib. <laughs> yes, there was a taping at a high school, which, again, a good indicator of business. Sign of the time. They had a show at my high school in 94, or no, 95, so we'll talk about that in seven or eight months. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, <two years. laughs> Uh, something from the Observer. Uh, on the November 8th Live Raw show, they announced that the fans could pick the November 15th main event by voting on a 900 number for Pierre against either 123 Kid, Marty Janetti, Doink, or Lex Luger, and then spent the entire, the entire hour trying to get fans to pick Luger. This set a new standard for sleazy, even by the standards of a sleazy industry. Okay, they, they did a lot of 900 line work there. I don't know why this set Dave off so much compared to what was going on at the time, but he's very upset by these 900 numbers that were possibly rigged. Well, it was because it was for a match that had already been taped, wasn't oh. it? <laughs> I, I, that may be true, but um, I thought maybe it was just they wanted him to pick Luger and were trying to influence the voting. But oh, yeah. I suppose that would be somewhat upsetting, but uh, I don't know. I'm well, not getting worked up about that. Yeah, they're so much more vulnerable now because there was that Sin Cara Evan Bourne thing where they were they didn't want to like get in trouble with the Better Business Bureau, so they when they screwed up the voting, they're like, "We promise we'll put it on, you get what <laughs> what the people wanted." And this they they were like, "Yeah, vote for this match. Hopefully Lex Luger will win. We have a good feeling that Lex Luger will be wrestling Pierre." Hmm. Yeah, I think that's the story. The match was already taped, and they're like, "What should we put on? You tell us, please." <laughs> so that uh, Lex Luger did in fact win, and he knocked out Pierre with Killed a forearm. Mm-hmm. Yep, knocked him out of Survivor Series. So tit for tat. Yep, the foreign fanatics added crush, meaning the access of evil of Japan, Finland, Canada, and the United States was complete. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> pre. Pre-colonization Hawaii, maybe. I suppose. And uh, the All-Americans retaliated by adding The Undertaker in place of Tatanka. A sizable upgrade in the famous segment where The Undertaker had the American flag sewn into his apparel. And he agreed to team with these men because they stood up for, I don't know, whatever. He's agreed to. His consistency has never really been ironclad, but sometimes when people do bad things, the avenging spirit of the Undertaker would decide to do what's right. Like when Ric Flair tried to kill Elizabeth with that chair. (laughs) No, wasn't that Jake? Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, when he just said, uh, whose side do you want? And uh, Undertaker said, not yours. And that was not a very good uh, explanation, but hey, wrestling. All right, let's that bring us to, uh, oops, some changes. Uh, Jerry Lawler. America, was, death is American, so we've killed a lot of people. Yes, uh, 
Yeah. Sherry Lawler was, oops, accused of rape and sodomy in the Penn State scandal of its day. And uh, that left WWF in a somewhat uh, awkward position as he had a team <laughs> of uh, of knights, three dudes in masks. I don't know. I believe it was, uh, who was it? Jeff Gaylord, Greg Valentine, and Barry Horowitz. So the WWF subbed in Shawn Michaels because, hey, he hates the hearts just as much. And um, it, it, it was so bad because it's not like... It's not like Jerry Lawler had teamed with Will Dunn and Mr. Hughes, and you could put Shawn Michaels with these men. No, it was Knights. And Shawn Michaels had to... It was his royal court that Shawn Michaels contracted to help him fight with these guys he obviously hated. It was just bad. Actual Knights from the Kingdom of Lawler, who had yes. you know, come on horseback to complete <laughs> this match, and uh, had had his like royal decree, and he was like, Gold HBK, I, you know, same page. <laughs> What's amazing, and I'm sure it'll sound very awkward, is before when you're in your live thing, I got another lag because it was like Skype not responding. Oh, we got it. So, you cut out. <laughs> we just had a lag. Rape and sodomy. Oh. What a dystopian nightmare. <laughs> and we just had another lag as you went on today. <laughs> so many. Uh, our, our troubles. We're going to soldier on, though. Yes, we will. Post-production. Um, Brett and Owen were also having some troubles. Brett faced Yokozuna for the title at the Survivor Series showdown, which was odd because they were not on opposite teams, but whatever. Brett had Yoko in the sharpshooter. This caused Owen to come out to celebrate prematurely, and the ref got caught up with him. Fuji tried to interfere. Owen interfered. Brett got DQ'd. So, uh, <laughs> this brings us to Survivor Series from Boston. The focus shifted back to elimination matches and really long ones at that. It was an up and down kind of show. Uh, the opener of uh, Razor, Kid, uh, Janetti Savage against IRS Diesel, Rick Martel, and Adam Baum was a lot of fun. And Savage replaced Perfect, who, I don't know, he was injured or he flunked a drug test or he had a family issue or something. I've seen like all three things mentioned. I don't know what the deal was, but Razor did kind of bury him during his introduction, so I'm. I'm unsure, but he was not there and would not be back until WrestleMania. He had so many false starts that it's hard to keep track of which reason was for which one at which point. Yeah. But uh, the family feud match of Hearts versus Sean and his nights was long and mostly boring. The only thing of note was Owen being eliminated after he bumped into Brett, meaning he was the only Hart who was eliminated in the match. And uh, the four doings match were Men on a Mission and the Bushwhackers against Bam Bam's team was really bad in the Observer Worst Match of the Year. I like the Smoky Mountain Tag Match between the Rock and Roll Express and the Heavenly Bodies, but no one cared because Boston has no mountains, especially not <laughs> ones. It's like this was Atlanta, which was a, you know, like a rock and roll hotbed. Mm-hmm. They've never been up here, so the interest is minimal. And uh, the main event was fine. Luger beat Ludwig Borga and Undertaker and Yoko went to a double countout to set up their feud. And uh, it was an okay show, a little... Some of the matches a little long, but um, not too bad. Tag team matches at Survivor Series does warm my heart, even if they rarely deliver. So, yeah, they somewhat did away with the team names outside of the the, the main event. I suppose the Hart family and the King's Court. I don't know if those were official, but they seem. It's probably safe to assume that any Razor Ramon team is called the bad guys, but I don't know if they were officially decreed then. Uh, I don't know what IRS's team would 
B. B. <laughs> I don't know about... I don't know. The write-off seems a little dismissive. By those standards, though, you really didn't get more than that. Mm, let's see. The, um... I don't know. A little tough. The briefcases? Yes. But. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's some obscure tax term that would that would apply, but I can't. It's late. It's too bad TurboTax hadn't been invented yet, because that would be a pretty cool name. If they had fast people on the team, which they did not. <laughs> so, well, drawing board. Yep. Uh, let's see... Owen was quite pissed about being eliminated at the Survivor Series, and he was tired of being in Brett's shadow. Only way to get it out was to uh, get out of it was to fight it out with his brother in a match. Brett wasn't down with this. Wanted Owen to calm down. Rejected the match. They made up over the holidays. Agreed to go after the tag titles at the Rumble. All was well. Yeah, everything was fine. Yep. You can close this show on a <laughs> filling note. Hearts were reunited, and um, that was good for them. There yes. Some tumult, and they patched it up. How? By talking about it. So more people in wrestling should try and solve things that way. They uh, booked a casket match for Undertaker and Yoko at the Rumble, so we got a lot of vignettes of Undertaker building a casket in his workshop. So Merry Christmas. Double wide, double deep. <laughs> That's right. Uh, business was no good at this time, but Viz uh, had an idea to bring it back. It was women's wrestling. Yes, the women's title, defunct since 1990, was brought back as a showcase for Alundra Blaze, a.k.a. Monster Truck Driver Medusa. So they had a centerpiece, but really no division. They had a six-woman tournament. They couldn't even dig up two extra women, so... Blaze just mostly beat up Heidi Morgan. Leilani Kai work toys? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Oh, did people get buys? I don't know. How do you yes, rank a six-woman uh, tournament? Uh, Alundra got a buy to the... Oh. Favoritism. Yeah, maybe, maybe was, she wouldn't uh, have won without that buy. Maybe not. But um, yeah. Well, thankfully this all ended up well in 1995. Yeah, worthy experiment. Yep, sure. Lots of competition amongst competitive ladies. Actually, the the stuff with Bull Nakano in '94 was probably the best stuff they ever did as far as the women go. But yeah, they say the match they had the night after WrestleMania 11, which I haven't seen since it happened, was better than any match at WrestleMania 11. Mm. I mean, yeah, 11. But it all ended up with the title and trash, so there you go. Whoops. Uh, we started getting vignettes for Jeff Jarrett. The gimmick was that while he was born to a wrestling family, his true love was country music. But he couldn't make any headway due to the politics of the biz. <laughs> so he was going to use WWF to catch... So he had his dad start a record label, <laughs> and... TNA Records. No, uh, he's going to use the WWF to catapult himself to country music stardom, and he spelled his name. And this is all very un- uninteresting. He spelled his name. He loved double letters. So, you know, the, he's been wrestling for 25 years and is still in like, I imagine, good physical shape. Like, I know TNA is in the most demanding schedule, but you never hear like, oh, Jeff Jarrett's a physical wreck right now, and you spend like 15 years working. Every- schedule. Yeah, I mean, Triple H has clearly, like, done some harder taxes on his body, but if you saw Triple H at um, TLC, as Jerry Lawler says, he's not sure if the game has ever looked better. Um, (laughs) I am. Triple H looks like... I'll help you out, uh, Jerry. A dad. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. 
Uh, good for you, Jeff Jared. I can't wait to talk about you in the future. Mm. Spelling your name, asking the question with regard to your greatness. Uh, let's see. Dink the Clown was introduced to completely kill that gimmick, and nothing good came from this. Uh, late in the year, there were two house show ladder matches. Oddly enough, one with Razor against Sean, and another with Razor against IRS. I bet one was better than the other. <laughs> you may be right. Uh, and on a sad note, we'll this out on the December 6th Raw. Gorilla Monsoon finally had enough. He had Bobby Heenan taken out of there. Actually, he tossed him out himself. Out of the building and out of the company. And uh, Bobby spent the next few years in WCW, and things were never the same. Again. Again. That was sad, though. I just it Some was. people are so endearing and like to have him thrown out, and for some reason carried a lot of toilet paper on his person. Mm. Like, come on. You don't have to, like, get rid of him forever. He's Bobby Heenan. He's a nice man. I guess. I don't know what the appropriate write-off would have been. Yeah, I guess he said a lot of rude things for many a long time. I guess. Thought of a name for Erwin Arshayster's team. Oh, what? <laughs> In the interim. How about the Nation of Taxation? <laughs> That's not bad. It rhymes. It calls forward to the future. Or the... I don't know, taxation of domination, one or the other. I, I feel like TurboTax, I have to TurboTax? Yeah, if he had one, two, three, kid, Marty Jannetty. <laughs> That's right. Team, little, if they had done the um, the wild card match, that would uh, yes. play yes. it out. Perfect. TurboTax, I like that. <laughs> anyway, a few end notes to uh, close this up. Uh, in addition to Smoky Mountain, the WF also worked with the USWA, the highlight of which was since debuting the Mr. McMahon character a good five years before doing so in the WWF, which is uh, worth checking out on YouTube if you ever get the time. They're pretty mind-blowing. He's younger, and he's being all Vince, talking down to people. There you go. Which, you know, now doesn't seem strange at all, but in that context, very weird. Quite odd. And he's talking up some WWF guy who's going to come to Memphis and beat all the heroes. <laughs> weird guy for Vince to be endorsing. He's like Tatanka or something. <laughs> Native American Tatanka. Yep. Uh, do you remember Radio WWF? It's when they did pay-per-view commentary over the radio, which um, I think they did for SummerSlam and Survivor Series. I don't know why. I mean, if I went to do that, I just listened to Scramble Vision, and maybe I could see something now and again. But I don't. I don't know if like this was broadcast in your area. I don't believe it was mine. It's not. So the hotline was when they would go back after their match and be like, oh, maybe AOL WWF or something. When they'd be like, hey, I mean. Uh, <laughs> Head shrinkers are really explaining what their strategy was out there tonight <laughs> in an online chat format. No, I don't remember Radio WWF. I remember it being advertised, but I never heard it. No. Uh, UFC One debuted, which was followed by a breaking news audio from Brian and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, that did uh, that did start, but um. <laughs> No, it'd be more like um, UFC 1 announced intention to debut, perhaps vaguely, and change one match, which uh, led to a breaking audio update from Brian and Dave. That's right. Man got on scale. He's 11. <laughs> and uh, lastly, Vince stepped down as the president of Titan Sports due to uh, some bad stuff going down, but we'll leave that on a cliffhanger for 1994. 
think suffice to say that would have gotten a breaking news audio. I Which things so. from this year, I think as a good summation exercise, what events would have received a breaking news audio update? And I will give you my first choice, and that was Tatanka two-year winning streak ends. Breaking <laughs> news audio update. I don't know about that. I would say Hogan, when they had confirmation, he was leaving the company. Batted, yes, that would be it's, good. Uh, UFC 1. Eagles, <laughs> of course. Um, Vader constructs White Castle of Fear. <laughs> did uh, Arn and Sid stabbing each other? That did happen, yes, yes. Maybe uh-huh. Ric Flair going back? Oh, yeah, yeah. It took him a lot. long time to get back, so that'd be a lot of uh, breaking news audios. Flair for gold, experienced. Terrible buy rates coming in? <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's really not news. So. Okay, well. Uh, yeah, I think that would cover it. <laughs> Harlem Knights give back to the youth. <laughs> Fat man lifted and slammed. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Unfairly. Yeah, intrepid stuff. Perhaps a live uh, report from uh, Alex Express stop. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Like when, um, like when Brian spied on Hulk Hogan at the bookstore. Mm-hmm. Follow the bus. Some parallels between Luger's Lex Express and that Sarah Palin bus. Neither of them were fit to be champion. <laughs> and they both quit before the job was done. <laughs> Political. And they're both fucking idiots. <laughs> I'll talk about Luger that way. <laughs> yeah, I have nothing against Lex Luger. I just want to make fit. I really don't have anything against Sarah Palin personally, but mm. you know, going Bartlett to end there you the show. Go. Um, let's let this be remembered as the episode where I probably sounded terrible because I frequently couldn't hear you because of the lag. Sorry, and the episode where I went Bartlett. Where <laughs> you chewed on a lot of things and unwrapped them. Well, you know, comes with the territory. When I... I'm your roommate, I will clean up all the wrappers. Okay. The room. All right. Sounds promising. All right, that's going to do it for uh, 1993. Not bad. I think we covered. I'm sure we left off. You know, there's a lot going on on Raw. We probably left off one or two things, but in my mind, pretty thorough. I'm satisfied and fulfilled. We had the we'll benefit of, up of covering several of these topics before. But. That's right. I didn't want to be redundant. No, we can't have that. That's not Bartlett material. <laughs> that's not. That's not the Bartlett way. <laughs> but yeah, year one of Raw, look out, Gunsmoke, and 94 coming at you hard with um, many great, exciting extravaganzas of the entertainment of sports. Yes, hopefully. Uh, I'll be there, Joe. All right, sounds good. We smile. may, uh, we may, we'll probably do 94 in one chunk, and then we may start breaking them off into, uh, with the with the advent of monthly pay per views, we may starting in 95, we may break it off into pieces. We'll see. Oh, so you're saying we do shorter monthly shows, right? Yeah, maybe we do like the first half of 95 and then later on follow up with the second half to watch all those terrible in your houses. (laughs) Well, are we, with this housing market, we could probably give away a house (laughs) with the next episode. (laughs) Just find a foreclosure and say, yep, all yours. Perfect. Yes. We have squatters' rights. (laughs) All right, well, let's do it. I thank you, Justin, for uh, your time. We had some. Some technical difficulties both before and and while we were on the air, but uh, 
I'm so sorry. You'd think after five years I'd be past that, well, but this is not my home base computer, and I don't think they know how to use it. So there you go. It's not our fault. Don't let that affect the generous donations you give to the March of Dimes. Oh, thank you for saving me that plug. But uh, yes, please donate the March of Dimes. It's Christmas time. I know everyone's a little, a little short on cash. If you get a little something, have a little something left over at the end of the month. Feel free to donate. Always typically when you. I say that very nice thing at the end of each show. I'll do what is a bit. I'll be like, "What? I thought this money was going to go to me, Joe, etc." You liar. Just you know, the Justin Shapiro character, Bartlett inspired. But my friends had their own um, babies, and they came a little early. And they technology is amazing. They sure is little things, and they're like, "Don't even worry about it. We'll make them regular size." And (laughs) they did. And um, it's incredibly impressive and very worthy cause. Good stuff. All right. Well, uh, Justin, again, happy holiday season to you. And uh, worst of luck to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the uh, in their NFL games coming up. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll throw uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins in there as well. Listen. <laughs> oh, I, thank cro- you. I crossed I'll take the line. Your word. Okay. And I appreciate that, Joe. Do you follow any basketball? There's there's no Pittsburgh basketball team I'm aware of. I didn't know if you just don't care or whether you adopted another another team. No, I, well, people like pit basketball, but I don't care. It's just a bunch of little kids. <laughs> so, whoa, they're trapping. Good work. <laughs> so, no, no basketball. Like, Cleveland is the closest. Cleveland Cavs do exhibition games here sometimes, really? and <laughs> up until like a year ago, they were a really hot ticket. Hmm. Somehow that has not been. Mm-hmm. That's hot. Oh, well. Not, not the 76ers, because they're in Philly. That's, That's what... Cleveland is technically a big rivalry, but that was kind of dissolved in yeah. 99 or so. Um, yeah. So, no, your sports teams are bad at sports, Joe, and your oh. are cheaters, so they should quit cheating at it and being bad at sports. Gronkowski at all. Tim Thomas is fat, and um, <laughs> that's about all I have to say about that. Well, on that note. But you, Joe, you are my best friend. Oh, thanks. I'm the best friend you've never met. Have a happy new year, and have a happy new year next year when it's time for that, too. All right. I I plan on that, and we'll be back hopefully sooner than we were with with this outing. But uh, enjoy this while uh, perhaps on a long drive to a family gathering, perhaps. You can ignore your uh, racist uncle at the dinner table and listen to this instead, but... Again, I thank you for listening. I thank people for caring, even though I joke about the Occupy movement, but I do appreciate it. People are still interested, and I hope this is worth your time. They are fervent, and I love them for it. Very true. We so, do what uh, we can. We're looking forward to not living up to your expectations, <laughs> because that would be impossible. All right. The tagline for this show, to end things, I think would be censored, cut, and cooked, because it is all three of those things. There you go. I know. We're going to try to play some Christmas music, uh, if, if it works. But, uh, again, happy holiday season. We'll check you next time. Late.